Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, it's been a little bit, but I feel like we're, uh, I don't know, it it feels like nothing has happened since we last last talked, but (laughs) stuff has happened. There actually is Arsenal news, but it's been more recent, so it's been kind of like a couple weeks of nothing, and then like right at the last minute arsenal gives us something to talk about i know it's nice like it actually worked out perfectly like there's some news there was a game earlier today that uh both of us watched so like there is actually things to talk about just very specifically today yeah they just snuck some stuff in for us which is perfect yeah um without further ado i don't i don't want to waste any time because i you know even though we always say it's we got nothing to talk about or very little's happened i think today we've got enough we're gonna we're gonna have a lot to talk about yeah so let's let's get right to the drinks. What do you got this week? Uh so my drink of a week of the week is a beer. It's a collab between two Bellingham breweries. It's Wander Brewing and Otherlands Brewing, which both of them are awesome. But if you have one brewery to go to in Bellingham and it's not Menace Brewing, my lovely job, go to Otherlands. They are an amazing, amazing brewery. And it is a Sasan that is uh, made in a fo- folder. And is a bottled condition, and it is absolutely goddamn lovely. Uh, Otherlands does the best Assans in the state, if not the country, and it's it's great. It has like a little bit of sour tartness, a lot of flavor to it. I'm I'm in love with this beard. I guess I should give the name of it, which is called Terre du Soleil, which I think is uh, Land of the Sun. That sounds right. That's what I would guess. And it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, I think you can only get the bottle in Wander or Otherlands, and I would go out of my way to get it. Okay. You heard it here. Start driving. <laughs> right now. To, this is a rat race scenario. And everybody, <laughs> last person, <laughs> is not going to get this wonderful Saison. I'm sure there's only a few bottles. I mean, it's, it's a lim- it sounds like yeah. it's a limited batch. It is definitely a limited batch. Are you a Saison person? Do you like Saisons? I don't know if I've acquired that taste yet. I think I need to have some more before I make a decision. Uh, a good Cezanne, there's nothing like it. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like you have sours and then like Cezanne, I guess, falls in that like, uh, I guess, range of a sour. It's a sour beer, but it has so much more to it as a Cezanne than like your typical sour. And it's like, you know, the... Uh, uh, natural yeast stuff and all that. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel like you get a real taste for the beer in the area when you have a Sasan, a well-made uh-huh. Sasan. There's nothing worse than a horrible Sasan. That's like my least favorite type of beer is a bad Sasan. You mentioned the natural yeast. Is this like uh is this like the kombucha of, of beers? Yeah, kind of like they're usually uh, made with a, uh, open fermentation vats and just getting the yeast from the the local area. So yeah, in a way, although I, I, I'm not a kombucha drinker. I apologize to all our listeners who are like the, 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 I know I should, it's basically the same idea just with tea instead of grains, but the uh, Scooby, if you've ever seen a, or scuba, if you ever seen that floating mushroom on the top of a kombucha brew, it just scares the living shit out of me. Oh, you should see the one in my basement. Oh, it's, do do you brew kombucha? My wife does. Oh wow, she you, loves it. Do you drink it? Uh, I'll have it once in a while, but it's not the first thing I would reach for when I'm 
thirstier wanting a drink yeah so you have a giant scuba in your your scooby or scuba right i think it's scooby scooby okay i don't know it's somewhere yeah it's massive so if you want to get into it we could share no thank you <laughs> um i you may you may be able to tell i'm slightly sick so i am sticking to uh limoncello lacroix that is as, as alcoholic as i'm getting today classy uh-huh you know only the best what makes the difference between limoncello and lemon uh hint of vanilla oh there you same go. with the it's like the key key lime versus the regular lime is just a little vanilla oh did not know that at least that's what my taste buds are telling me oh, nice but yeah um enough about Lacroix. we could there's not really much to say about Lacroix. although i heard somebody say the other day that this naturally essenced stuff that they play up as being so clean and not not weird actually like a bunch of chemical stuff that they could call natural essences because it's based on natural flavors. Uh, but I, they tweak it all so much that it actually can be bad for you. And I'm like, what the hell, man? What? Why can't I have sparkling water without bad crap in it? I Natural is one of my favorite squishy food words, like all natural. Like, because yeah. like, what does that actually mean? Because at the end of the day, everything is natural. Like everything exists in this world. Like chemicals are natural. Like cyanide is natural. Like it sure. is It is a, a silly squishy word that doesn't really mean anything, which is why they're allowed to say like natural essence or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and they really, what's the word that they use? Uh, innocent. Innocent is what they put on the cans as total bullshit. Yeah. So as I say, squishy words, they don't mean anything. They just sound good when you're, Trying to buy things. Yeah, they had me. F- I don't know what to do about that. I'm just going to keep drinking it anyway. But still, I'm going to be thinking about it more than I used to. And that bothers me. So, well, I mean, what you should do is just stick to beer, which is all natural, uh, all natural flavors. Just grain, yeast, water, hops. But it, what it really is going to mean probably is that I use our soda stream more, which we just make sparkling water with all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's safe if you take out those natural essences. No way, I take that back. I heard something else the other day. Kids should not be drinking sparkling water because it ruins the enamel on their teeth. Oh, yeah. Like, what that the makes, heck? That makes sense because uh, CO2 is acidic. Like, when you're making yeah. beer, you actually have to take into account the acidity of uh, CO2. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Nothing is safe. Just drink water, everyone. That's that's the moral <sighs> of the story. If your water's good to drink, that's, that's the other yeah. caveat. Or just drink beer and say, fuck it. That's uh, kind of my uh, my rules. It's it's how they got through some dark times back in the day. So yeah, beer, beer is the way to go. You can't can't go wrong. It, it protects you from diseases, except for liver disease. But we won't go into that. You know, it's <laughs> it might be worth it. <laughs> All right. Um, enough about our drinks this week. We've got uh, a Tim bit. I'm guessing. I I've looked yeah, at our. Yeah, I I okay. updated. You're ready. I'm ready. And I totally stole this Timbit. So I apologize. And I probably should have looked up who I stole it from. And so <laughs> if you're out there, email us and I will acknowledge you <laughs> next week. I apologize. I should have written it down. But it was a great question that I found in the Cascadia Gooners Facebook group that I would love to discuss with you, which is when Arsenal loses, 
it generally is a huge downer and I feel bad. And what do you do, Caleb, to get yourself up after Arsenal loses a game? Ideally, I would eat something, you know. (laughs) Like Um, a donut? Maybe. So uh, I'm just thinking about like Arsenal games usually happen on the weekends. Um, And most of the time they're like breakfast or occasionally an afternoon game. It's like a weekday game. But still, I'm generally like, well, today's a pancake day. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm thinking about what I could do to, to bring myself back up again. And usually it's like a more indulgent breakfast or something that I can be like, all right, this, I'm going to restart, reset my day and have like a good meal. Yeah, that's a good way. Like, I, I think eating, eating away your feelings is totally healthy, <laughs> totally healthy. But it, I mean, it's better than reaching for a beer at like 10 in the morning. So that would yeah. be the other way if I'm. If I'm like out at a at a bar, it's an afternoon game or something. That change definitely changes this a scenario. So it might be that extra beer or something that uh, softens the blow a little bit. Well, you you talk about eating. Like my least favorite Arsenal loss was the Champions League final, and I remember I was watching the game at the Georgian Dragon, and I'd taken the day off work because I was working that day, and I was super excited, and then we inevitably lost the game and all I wanted to do was uh, forget about soccer. So I went to, uh, where's that? Uh, the beer bar that's just across the street, basically from uh, Browers. Browers. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get a fancy meal and pretend that soccer doesn't exist for a minute. And of course I sit down, I order my fancy meal and then I look up and they, there's like two TVs in that entire place uh-huh. and they were replaying the game. And one of the TVs that was like basically directly across from where I was. So anytime I looked up at for my my lovely dinner, or it was actually lunch, I saw Arsenal losing the Champions League final. So that I, was I can't, I can't even believe that bar has TVs. The reason I went there is I thought that they didn't. Uh-huh. I was like, this is going to be a safe place where I'm not going to have to see highlights of the game. And of course, I don't think they have many, but they had one or two. Wow. But, disappointed in them. Yeah. But my, my general my general theory when Arsenal loses is I I'm very famous for saying this, which is I go, I hate soccer. I leave whatever bar I'm at. And I literally don't watch another soccer game for about two to three days. It's uh I just pretend soccer doesn't exist. Uh-huh. And it's it's hard because I, I watch probably I want to say about ten games a week in general. But uh, when Arsenal loses, I can't watch the rest of the uh, the EPL slate. I can't watch any of the Bundesliga games. I just like because anyone kicking a ball around just reminds me of the Arsenal loss. So I will sometimes if cycling's on, I'll watch some bike races or I'll just do something that reminds me that soccer doesn't exist. <laughs> I I totally understand that feeling, especially if you get the double whammy where we'll we'll have like. Uh... Sounders and Arsenal the same week uh, and, and you get the double loss. I mean, it's just, it's a, one gut, gut punch after the next. Cause it's like, you, you may be able to shut off other, other teams, but when yeah. it's your home, home team playing, it's hard to ignore that as well. So it's like, you're going to watch it yeah, and it's going to, it's going to get you sometimes. Yeah. And it's a, that, that, that is the harshest. It's, 
yeah, it's just, it, it, I just have to shut off at that point. I just, I literally just can't think about it. I, I try not to react to games that we've lost the day of, because I think my analysis is very bad. That's the other thing is I don't try and like overanalyze the game after we've lost it. I take two or three days and then go back and watch highlights and read things and have a more stable. Cause I, f- I feel like time helps things that I don't, I'm not as bad three days later as I am in the moment when we lose a game. Yeah. So I just need that, which is why like when we record the podcast, cause normally we have two or three days to digest uh, the game if we've lost it. Yeah. The ones where we record the same day or maybe the next day. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's nice when it's like in the front of my mind cause I remember more specifics, but um, I haven't really developed a good general feeling. It's usually very emotional. <laughs> well, I feel coming into this season, we're going to be undefeated, so we won't have to have this uh, these uh, coping mechanisms this season. <laughs> yeah, we can't be talking about the bad stuff yet. We have we have a lot to be excited about. Yeah. Um, should we get into it then? Yeah, I feel like it's time to get into it. Okay. Um. So. It's not on our outline because it literally just happened, but I feel like we should maybe start with the the game that we just watched. Yeah. What'd you think of it? What what were your initial thoughts from the game? Well, I wouldn't say I watched every minute of that whole game. I was trying to grill some some stuff, but uh, what I did see of it, I think I saw all the Arsenal goals. And uh, the first one was definitely fluky, but, you know, Martinelli looked up for it, so that yeah. was that was maybe the most positive thing I could say about that that first that starting lineup. Um, Rib still let in a goal. Not that, that that makes it sound like it was his fault. Oh, but was it totally not his fault? Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a decent shot, and I think he was blocked from seeing it until it was too late. I mean, and, that that, uh, that goal was definitely a Lakonga. Lakonga, in my mind, was not uh, marking his man well. He, did he feel like he was all over the place? Yes. I I, okay. I, I was not impressed with the Conga's performance in this match. I mean, not to get to the negatives in a 3-1 win, but... I was hoping he would be in a better place coming into this season. And I, that, I don't want to judge too much based on a, a half of a preseason game against Orlando. Um, but he did feel like he was popping up in interesting places, like at, at some some point early in the game he was closing down the opposing keeper and i was like is that your job or should that be in kenya because i feel like you're supposed to be back in the midfield a little bit more (laughs) yeah no i mean like i when i was watching the game and again it was a casual setting and i like was in and out doing some other things uh but when i was watching the game i just felt every time i looked up he was in a different spot which could be a good thing i guess but it just felt like you know it was kind of random and all over the place. I I felt he was at fault for the uh, the goal that happened. Again, I haven't watched the highlights again, so I could be wrong on that. But yeah, I wasn't impressed with him. But what I was impressed with, to kind of bend it to the positives, uh-huh. was how well we seem to be combining in general. I think our passing looks very sharp. I think uh, I'm excited about some of these players. I think Martinelli looked really good. I think... Uh, uh, and Kedia actually looks sharp, which I'm excited for if we can get a good good season out of him. And yeah, I mean, I think everyone looked happy to be playing and 
combining very well. Yeah, I thought that in uh, the Enkedia, uh Jesus combination play was pretty pretty slick. I, I I'm trying to imagine the scenario where they're playing frequently together. I mean, it's very possible you can bring in one or the other to kind of see out a game or something, but uh, especially since uh, you could bring in uh, Jesus on the wing mm-hmm. and leave Enkedia up top. But yeah, I, I really like their chemistry so far, which is really surprising because, like I said, it's not a, not not two players we're going to see combining very often, but if they have that sort of chemistry, maybe Arteta needs to take a look at using that to our advantage. And to this point, I am in love with Jesus at this point. Like, I think when he came on, just seeing him play and seeing him in the other preseason game, I'm so far, I'm, I'm very excited about this purchase. I think it's, it's, it, it feels like he's just instantly fit into the team. I think he will hit the ground running and I'm, I'm very excited about that as opposed to being like excited about potential. I'm very excited about product from Jesus. I think he's already making a difference. Just watching with, with Sako and him were playing in the second half. Um, you know, it's nice to see some opportunities for threat from the center because you have, you have all this work that Odegaard and, and and Saka are doing down the right-hand side, but they tend to stay pretty wide unless Saka drives towards the goal. Um, but it would be nice to kind of complete that triangle by having uh, Jesus making runs into the box, which allows all that interplay that Saka and Odegaard have to actually result in, in something closer to goal. I think that also opens up more, more areas for Saka to run into if you have uh, Jesus keeping... The, the central defenders honest and, and kind of towards the back post. So it, it, it just changes the way that the existing team plays. And it, I, I think that's what you hope to get from a player is not just a individual effort, but uh, a, a person that can raise the game of everybody around them. And I, I, I can already tell he's, he's doing that. Exactly. And I'm, 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 a, I, as I said, I'm excited that 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 signing seems to be at least functioning so far. Uh, I mean, getting back to the negatives, I wasn't excited about Pepe, and like I don't at this point, I can't uh, make excuses about potential. He needs to be showing more, and he was showing exactly what he's shown the last two years. <laughs> you know, like I'm just, I I don't know. I think the experiment's over, and if he's not producing, I don't, and if he's not producing against Orlando, I don't know what situation he can be successful with. Yeah, he. I, I don't know if it's like he doesn't have... Well, I mean, he doesn't really combine well with most of the players that we have. Um, so I was trying to think if like it was maybe the people around him in that first half, but there's so many times where he gets down to the 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 line and, and has no ideas. Have He just kind of runs out of room and tries to check back or tries to get out of that corner and ends up just turning the ball over. It just same thing over and over is really frustrating to watch. I mean, it's but it's the same thing we've been saying for the last 2 years. Like he has like I can see why people like his talent and maybe in another team with another setup it would work, but for what Arsenal's trying to do, I know exactly what he's going to do. If I'm a defender, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Just let him run, push him wide and 
he's not going to do anything exciting. He's not going to like, he, he may be one person, but then he's going to get stuck in a corner and yeah, as you said, check pack and do his thing. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of over that experiment. Yeah. On the, on the disappointing train here, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Mm-hmm. What's up with that guy? <laughs> I don't know. I he so he was he was I think it was pretty early on in the game. He ends up getting a, a yellow card. And it's mainly he like let the Orlando player drive past him and he was out of he was in a bad position and all he could do was just grab the player and hold his jersey. And it was very blatant. It was very unnecessary early in the game. And also based on the position they were at, they were in the Orlando's end of the field. He had a whole bunch of defenders between him and the goal. So I have no idea why he felt the need to make that foul. Yeah, and that's it, he's misunderstanding something Arteta said. And with Maitland Niles, again, he's a player that I'm done with giving him the grace of he's a developing player. He needs to either be producing now or we need to move on. And uh-huh. I just don't have the grace. And he didn't, like, you know, if I'm Arteta looking at his performance in this game, I'm like, there's not a lot showing me that I want to start him for sure. And there's not a lot saying that he should be on the bench. I don't know if there's much value for him right now. Yeah, that's, that's tough. I mean, we have, we have some players that are just not up to the level of this team at the moment. So I hope that the end of this window, they're able to find, some solution for these guys, whether it's loans or outright sales, but we haven't heard a lot of outgoing outgoing transfers. So, uh, there hopefully there's some fresh rumors about that as the window gets closer to the end here in August. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the game, but yes, like at a certain point, we have to start selling players and not just paying them to leave uh-huh. as a sustainable soccer club that needs to happen and it'd be nice to get some of these players that you know just don't fit the team and again it might not be that they're bad players but they're just not fitting the team and we need to get some sort of value out of them we're never going to get the money we got out of pepe back but if we can get part of that back i was i was talking to my uh, buddy mike who was watching the game with me and i'm like he's a 20 million dollar player and if we can sell him for twenty million, I think we'd all be excited. Like I, I think that's where his value's at. And we just need to move a player on like that and say, like, yeah, we overspent by thirty-five million. Like, oops, are bad, but at least getting some value back. Yeah, I would hope so. I hope we can... just yeah, just don't pay him to go. I, I that's pretty much my my bare minimum. Yeah, I mean, low bar for us, I guess, but. Um, on the on the other end, on the positive again, um, you know, there's been there's been some talk since the Rafinha saga and and Arsenal trying to sign uh essentially some winger depth um on that right side. It uh it occurred to me tonight that maybe the answer if if we can't find somebody better but perhaps the answer is keeping Reese Nelson and actually playing him. Whoa, craziness. I know, right? <laughs> Using a player we have on our books. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I think there is some value to be had there, and especially as a depth player. And to be honest, I never got too excited about the Rafina. You, you all know my uh, at this point, if you're a regular listener, my uh, my uh, dislike for rumors and and things like that. I was never convinced that he was going to come anyways. So I'm fine with where that went. But uh, yeah, I'm. I think Reese Nelson has a role. I mean, I also think Reese Nelson should admit to the fact that he might be stuck as a right back as well. And I'm fine with that, you know? Well, I think his, his, uh, his showing tonight with the, the goal and, uh, a couple of look at slick looking plays. I was like, well, maybe that, that, uh, loan that he had in the, uh, in the Dutch league was, was actually beneficial. I, 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 He's always just missed a little bit of polish, and I don't think he's there yet. I think he still needs more game time. I think he needs to gel with the players around him a little bit more. But I, you know, if 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 we can't make a deal happen, it's nice to know that there's that that as a fallback plan. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, we're not going to get all the players that we want out of the transfer window, and to see right players performing i mean again it's it's hard to say it's preseason and it's just orlando but uh, there is some positives to our depth and i think maybe that's the uh the the best thing i can say because i you know when you were you're looking at that starting lineup that we started that was definitely like the first half was a lot of players that needed to prove themselves uh-huh and i think some of them did very well i think you know you know as we said martinelli i think proved that he's could be in the conversation for a start starting position. And I think Reese Nelson is another that showed that he has something there that we could, we can work with. Yeah. And I think with the amount of games that we have to play with the five sub rule going into effect, a player like Reese Nelson could be handy to keep around. He's got enough experience where you know, I don't know that sending him on loan is that beneficial to us at this point. Um, and I think he he could be a good bench player, a good rotational player, um, and just give him the opportunity to take some minutes away from Saka because we absolutely need to give him a break once in a while. Mm-hmm. And Pepe is not the answer. Whether we keep him or not, I don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, I feel like... Reese Nelson looked better than Pepe by a, a mile. few miles tonight. Yeah. And, and talking about other players in that game that really showcased not necessarily that they're, you know, starting materials, but a, a key part of depth is uh, El Nenny. I thought El Nenny had a great showing today and showed he's not the sexiest of players. He's not the, the solution for the midfield as a starter, but he's a player I'm not going to groan when we sub him on especially mm-hmm. based on some of these performances he's had or the, the performance today. So there, that first half, I think, was a lot about showing some of our depth position and these players that are kind of on the bubble. Yeah. And who... That's... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. And, and who we can trust and who we can't. Yes. I felt like that second half, though, was definitely a much better as to where this team actually is with with most of those starters involved um if you had that combination of the starters that were playing in the first half you know the uh 
perhaps Martinelli and Ramsdale. And, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about the team that we have and we haven't even seen all the pieces yet. Um, we, we should, unless you have more to say about that game, we should probably talk about, about some other, other things. Yeah. Happening. Well, I mean, one more, I could talk about Arsenal Go forever, for but uh, there's just one more piece I want to say, which is like the uh, cameo from Jaka on, and a, a little bit of a reminder that I, the more and more I'm seeing it and like what's going on, I feel Jaka is going to be with us next or this coming season as well. Uh-huh. And again, I don't think it's a bad thing. I've, I've come a very 360 around Jaka and don't get me wrong. I know his limitations and I know he's liable for a red card here and there, but again, kind of like El Nenny, I think he has a place on this team and he has a, a, a place as a, someone we can sub on for certain situations. Like I wouldn't be happy if he was always our starter, but I do like the fact that we have him from the bench to put on. And I do like his leadership on the field. Well, you actually set me up nicely for transitioning to the the next discussion because it's like we it it involves Jacques a little bit here. Um, So it's not been officially, officially, uh, officially officially um it has not been officially announced so it bends tibbs rules a little bit but you know the player was pictured sitting next to a dude at the game tonight so i'm pretty sure this is happening yes it's it's just a matter of making that announcement um but uh alexander zinchenko uh from the ukrainian national team and most recently uh the champions uh Man city so another another poach job from arteta going after after one of his former employees if you could call it that um but yeah another familiar face and i think uh i think this is a an astute signing from from this team because uh you know kind of to back up a little bit we we were talking a little bit about Lissandro Martinez uh, previously, I think on the last episode, and he was kind of the potential left-back solution, whether that be to uh, cover for Tierney or to eventually replace him, uh, hard to say. But I think the uh, um, Martinez situation got out of control pretty quick when Man United came in and up to his valuation by about double what Arsenal, I think, were willing to pay for him. And with the money they saved, they were able to go back in and find Zinchenko for uh, half the price. I mean, it's a steal by comparison. And ultimately, I think they get you know, what, what people are saying is one of the top three technical players from Man City for like $30 million, which is nuts. Yeah, I mean, much better than the Pepe price. I and like, I have a, a good buddy of mine who's a, a City fan, and he had nothing but great things to say about Zinchenko. He's he, he again was a little sad that he left City. I know he wasn't getting all the playing time that he wanted, but it, he he was liked very much, and I think it's not a horrible thing. Like when we were buying a bunch of ex Chelsea players, I was not in love with it, but picking up some of these these pieces from City that aren't being used, like Jesus and uh, Zanjanko, I'm very happy with. I think it'll be an easy transition from these for these players, and I think they will fit in very well. And so, yeah, I'm, 
I know he's not official, but you know, if he's sitting in the director's box in a preseason friendly with Arsenal, I'm, I'm, it's close enough to holding the scarf over your head on the the promo picture to say that it's signed, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, I keep wondering, um, where where these guys fit as far as the skill level that they're bringing to this team. What Arsenal has is a bunch of um, young pieces that have not even quite come together, not anywhere near where Man City was at um, or is at. And we're bringing in these young players from Man City, both in, uh, I think both of them are 25, uh, but they've each won two, three, four champion, uh, champion trophies with, uh, with Man City. I mean, not Champions League, but uh, not Champions League. Sorry, league trophies, um, and they've they've got all this experience that they could bring, and so they come into a team that's run similarly because Arteta's bringing over some of Pep's ideas and some of his ideas that they're also familiar with from working with him previously, and um, it just makes me wonder if. Zinchenko and and Jesus are you know just that step above where the rest of this team is at and if so are they going to force our players to step up a little bit I mean it's interesting you talk about veteran leadership and usually you think of an older player that's been around and seen things like Vieira is always my example of a a good veteran that can uh, show people but uh, I think when you're bringing in players that have won championships that are at that age it's not just the physical skills that are going to be uh, force mul- multipliers is a term I also love. And I think Zinchenko is a great force multiplier, but it's also, they've been there and they've done that. And I think, you know, when we talk about the end of last season where we kind of uh, lost a little bit at towards the end and we lost uh, some games that we hopefully shouldn't have lost. These players that have been in these high pressure situations can help mentor some of our younger players or even players that are in their same age bracket, but haven't had the opportunity to see some of these higher pressure situations that maybe if Jesus and Zinchenko uh, were on our team, not just their skill level, but their, their experience would have been helpful last season. And hopefully this season can push us beyond it. Yeah. I think there's also just that winning mentality, you know, it's not, it's not always about your uh, experience, but your attitude. And I think they bring that that to this team as well. Yeah. Um, you kind of just develop that when you win a lot. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you start setting that standard for yourself. So I, I feel like that that is a, a far cry from where we're at with the Chelsea rejects. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of at the other end of that spectrum where they'd already won everything and they're like, eh. I'm just collecting a paycheck at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're almost MLSing it at uh, Arsenal, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And But it, it's a, you know, it's, a, I don't know if you've seen Shorzy, the uh, the spinoff uh, on Hulu for uh, uh, Letterkenny, but it's all about a hockey team. But there's a, a great phrase that the guy says, one of the guys says on there, which is that he doesn't want a bunch of, of uh, players that love winning. He wants a bunch of players that hate losing. Uh-huh. And I think with Zizchenko and with Jesus, you get those players that just hate losing and want to to move on from that. Yeah, 
I think they've they've already achieved that, but they still have room in their careers to achieve more. So I don't think they're going to suddenly plateau. They're going to want to get to that next level. Exactly. And they still haven't won the Champions League, which I would love for those two players to win the Champions League with Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did say that we were going to tie this into Xhaka somehow. Yes. Um, with the with the Zinchenko move, he is a player that can play uh, in the midfield or as a left back. I think primarily Arsenal wanted the left back cover, but also looking for those um, depth pieces that could cover multiple positions. And somebody who's flexible and versatile, and that checks a lot of boxes for Arteta, I'm sure. Um, where do you think he's going? To, where Where do you think we're going to see him? Because we have established players, and Jaka and Tierney, who get, who take up those positions, presumably in the starting eleven. But I think Zinchenko's got a good case to be a starter, and Tierney may not be 100 percent at the beginning of the season. So it, do you think he'll usurp tyranny or Jaka at some point well i mean i don't i i don't see Jaka as a starter really and okay. i uh, i think of him as a depth piece and i really the Jaka situation also depends on some stuff that as american podcasters we can talk about where british people can't really talk about which is the party situation uh-huh which is that it, it may be uncertain whether Party is with the team the full season, depending on the allegations and what happens with that situation. And that's more where I see Jaka has a role in the team. Because I, I think at this point, even not seeing him play for us, I think uh, Zinchenko starts for us in general. Yeah. And he already has that built-in chemistry with with Jesus, so I just feel like even if he doesn't start, he's going to be a frequent uh, player coming off the bench to make that link up, to try to unlock something, to change things up. So I I, I imagine he's going to be in high rotation no matter what, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. I feel like he adds something to this team that can change the way that we play, that can unlock teams perhaps so it it gives Arteta another really dangerous tool and can change the way that this the this uh formation works or can give you options in multiple formations so I think he's he's really uh the type of player that um can unlock a, a, another part of this team that we I, I felt like we were pretty good down the left side at, at times, mm. but um, at one point we were really reliant on that. And I think last last season it kind of shifted over to the right with Odegaard and Saka and Tomiyasu. So having another really technical left-sided player, um, I think can really be beneficial, obviously, for the um, coverage when Tierney inevitably has an injury at some point this season but yeah. also to um, link up uh, to that, that front line because whether it's uh, Martinelli or Neil Smith-Rowe playing in front of him, there's more that can be done with those players. They just need the right chemistry and service on that down, down that side. Yeah, I mean, like, and making the team more versatile is is and less predictable is going to be a, a benefit. I think 
to a certain extent, teams figured out what we were doing midseason and knew that if you could shut down certain players and shut down, you know, our 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 attack down the wing, that there wasn't many other options or many other threats. But now we're starting to get to the point where there's multiple threats that uh, teams have to worry about. And when teams have to t- change their tactics for us, as opposed to us changing our tactics for other teams, that's where you're taking that 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 next step. Yeah, tactical flexibility is is massive, and I think it's something Arteta has desired. But we really, with the rebuild, it's been slow going. You know, he he finally got to a point where he had a consistent starting 11 last season. Now we're adding those depth pieces that allow that flexibility. And I think we're going to see more different formations. You know, I, I it's our formations are so fluid with Arsenal and the way that they start and the way that they are in different game states. It's um, hard to pin one particular uh, formation that will be like the, the go-to. It, it seems like it's going to come down to the personnel and, with the five subs, he can completely change things in that second half of the game or at any point. I mean, with five subs, you can really start making subs whenever something isn't working or you see something that uh, uh, you can take advantage of. I feel like it opens up some some options for him. So seeing how they're going after these um, players that offer, offer multiple positions, um, I, I see him really trying to take advantage of that that new opportunity next season. And uh, change, changing games in the second half is going to be a big, big thing. I mean, it really is interesting to think about that five sub rule because it really does fundamentally change how teams set up and how we we play the game of soccer. It's like it, instead of like this is a team you set up and you can make minor tweaks, like putting five different players, that's a, it's half your out, outfield players. Like you can really line change. And I think that's something that you can have some players to start the game that do one thing. And then as the game evolves, you can switch your tactics and change the point of the attack. And if the other manager isn't quick enough to pick it up you can score some advantage it's a very very interesting i'm really interested to see how the premier league deals with that and what it what what, how tactics evolve from that because i think we're entering a new era of how you view someone on the bench that it's not necessarily a snub to be on the bench i think it's a uh, an opportunity to be on the bench in some ways absolutely it's like i was saying if you with all of those subs, you could make two tactical subs in the first half and still have your three subs for injuries or whatever you yeah. needed in the second half. I mean, it's it changes a lot. And 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 players play will play the game differently. If you are a starter and know that the the tactical plan is for you to be subbed at halftime or maybe even at the fiftieth minute, you can throw all your juice into the first half and run way too hard and expend all your energy way earlier and not worry about having to go the full 90 because you know you're going to get pulled and someone else with fresh legs is going to come in to take you and hopefully the uh, point of attack so if it's a winger attacking the wing or the the right back knowing that maybe they're not going to change the right back so you have the ability to tire out the right back and then you put in someone with fresh legs to go after a tired right back which is 
you know, something you you could do with a th- uh, three subs, but with those two extra subs, it makes it much more likely that you do that type of tactic. Yeah, I, I, we've seen it a little bit. We saw it during COVID, but I don't know that it was able that people were able to take full advantage of it because of its temporary status. Um, now that it's a permanent thing, I definitely see. I mean, it feels like Arsenal's trying to stockpile players a little bit more and and really look at depth as a asset. Yeah, I mean, we saw it during COVID, but I don't think teams were built around it. I think you're going right. to see more and more teams built around this idea. And I think uh, players might get start getting used to the idea that being subbed in the 50th minute or being subbed at halftime isn't a bad thing, that you can just pour all your energy into the the shift that you have knowing that someone else can take it over and it's not a slight to be subbed. It's not that you're doing something wrong. It's part of the overall tactic. And I I imagine it it could have the potential to really um, allow teams to be more competitive on multiple fronts because you Mm -hmm. you can keep players fresher that way. Fresher and still give them minutes. I think it's easier to start spreading those minutes over too when Uh you're when you have multiple competitions that you can, yeah, there's just like more minutes available for players. And I think you'll, the biggest thing is changing the mindset of the player that being subbed off necessarily, or isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a, a, a shift in dynamics and a, an idea. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious to see how Arsenal take advantage of that this coming season. Um, while we're talking about transfer rumors, there hasn't, I mean, we, we're still assuming there may be one more, more player if, if they're still going to go for that uh, winger, but I, I don't have any more rumors. Arsenal's pretty <laughs> silent and keeping their cards close to their vest. I mean, we'd heard about some interest in Zinchenko previously, so it wasn't completely, completely out of the blue, but the time between when the Martinez, uh, transfer saga kind of came to a close and when the Zenchenko deal came together was pretty quick so I imagine if Arsenal have somebody else in in mind for um, a winger or another position it might be just a few days between when we hear about the first rumors and when that signing happens so we'll have to see things are um, going to be wrapping up here pretty quickly as far as the preseason so if they're going to try to get a player in before the start of the um, start of the new Premier League season in uh, first week of August, I think they've they've got some some work to do pretty pretty quickly here. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean it's interesting because uh, with the Tillemans, I think it was a very strong rumor coming into the uh, the uh, off season. I believe we were there was talk about it even in the uh, January window, uh, but. I think his value has dropped, especially with uh, how things are going. And I think if that gets over the line, it's going to be a, one of those deadline day signings. And it's, I'm, I, I must, I'm at a point where I'm pretty happy with our transfer window at this point. Like, yeah, I would love to have a couple more pieces. It's always nice to get more players and that sort of thing. But my major concerns I feel have been addressed. I mean, what do you think? What are you, do you have any other places you want to address? Um, if we if we stopped today, I I could see this being okay. But I think more depth is good. I think there's 
like Telemans is kind of one of those players that uh, not a must have at this point, but a, a nice to have. Mm-hmm. So if he if he is available and wants to come at a reasonable or we're able to get him at a reasonable price price, it sounds like he already wants to come. So um, I would mind another piece for the team to play with. Um, I think he would be a great addition. But um, if, like I said, if, if if we had to stop today, I think the pieces are there. But I think if we can find quality, I think they should go out and get it. And I I, I don't want to be um, tepid or you know like hold, have the team hold back when you know Champions League was right there last season, mm-hmm. but everybody else is reloading too. So it's not like it's going to be you know any easier next season even with what we're doing so it, it, the more you can put into this team to make that push to champions league you've got to take advantage of this group and this time yeah and but it, for coming into the offseason my major concern was striker and i think uh the jesus signing was such a good sh- signing because it checked a lot of check marks even that i wasn't even thinking about i think uh he's young He's already been in the Premier League. There's no like warm up period. I think that checked all the boxes for a striker. I think backup striker is a lot of untested and or people that need to prove themselves. But that's what you're going to get as backup strikers. Is is that I think our midfield feels pretty solid. Specifically, also if we still get to hold on to a party, notwithstanding other things, I think that feels fairly solid we could probably reinforce in uh midfield you always can um and we address the back line fairly well i feel like and you know we we even got a backup keeper that you know i don't know all that much about but i feel is an upgrade on a runerson so i'm feeling pretty good anything else feels like gravy and i know we need those gravy pieces to get to be the the champions of the league but I'm 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 feeling confident that it's probably just my bias of coming to a new season sort of thing, but I'm I'm feeling pretty good about where things stand right now. Yeah, what what has been your impre- impression of Saliba so far since we were talking about that back line? Uh, I know he came on. I may have been a little bit distracted <laughs> during because I was doing a couple other things at the brewery while watching the game. Uh but I, I still feel he is one of the three best French backs that they have. I think he is a player that has all the potential, and I'm hopeful that that we can get more minutes from him and actually get to see him in competitive matches here in the Premier League. And that I, I, I do feel his head might be better placed than it was a year ago. Yeah, that's my main concern with him is like his his talent is probably um you know it's it's he could he could really make a leap into that next level if we give him the minutes. And I'm concerned that he will be squandered because he's got players in front of him that are pretty pretty decent themselves. Um but if he's if he is okay with taking whatever minutes he can get and making the most of them, 
I think he will succeed and he will probably surpass some of the players that are in front of him. So I hope that he, he push it pushes him to be the best that he can possibly be. Well, and I think that's a, a positive that you want competition for spaces. I think if you have a player that's secure in their position, they're going to underperform. You want someone right behind their heels that they're afraid of losing their position to. Uh-huh. And I think having Saliba in there, he's going to be hungry. I, I, I do think he's going to be hungry. He's going to push our center backs. He's going to push Gabriel. He's going to push all these players. And he is going to get minutes. He's going to get Europa League minutes for sure. I wouldn't be surprised uh-huh. if he plays every single group stage in game in the, the Europa League. And if he starts showing there, if he starts showing in training, he's gonna he is going to get Premier League minutes. I think this is a season where we're ready to to see him play and it's just about him taking those opportunities and that that just comes down to the talent and the mindset of the player yeah i'm curious if arteta's going to take the approach of having a premier league lineup and a and uh europa league lineup or if he's going to do heavy rotation to make sure people are getting minutes in both competitions i mean i'm sure that's going to be the case i mean it, it, to me, it's obvious that there's going to be two two teams, and I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, I'm sorry, I keep on forgetting the name of the uh, New England Revolution keeper that we picked up. Oh, Turner. Turner, that is his name. I just have biases in the the uh, MLS. But uh, <laughs> Turner, I would not be surprised if he's our, uh, our uh, Europa keeper. Uh-huh. And we keep uh, Ramsdale for Premier League. Um, and then some of these players are going to be primarily starting uh, Enkedia, uh, Saliba, some of these players, Pepe probably, is playing in the uh, the Europa League as opportunities to show themselves. And if they show themselves well, getting some opportunities in the Premier League squad. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that that pushes pushes some players, like especially some of these young guys too, who are uh, have the opportunity to... Um, get into the Europa League, like Charlie Patino. I know he's got a ton of potential, so this could be a big year for him. Um, uh, Balogun, I think, would be another player that I'd be hope that gets those minutes and, and takes advantage of the time, and hopefully that spurns them to get some some sub minutes on the, the Premier League side because uh, that's great opportunities for them too with those five subs. This is an honor agenda, but I'm going to throw out a question to you. What level of, how do I phrase this? Um, how much do you care about results in Europa League versus how much do you care about development in Europa League? Do you use the tournament as just a development for youth? Do you actually want to try and compete and get to the final and win a European trophy? Like where, where do you, where does the Europa League fall for you? The group stage is definitely development and using, you know, the, the players that are not getting Premier League minutes to the, as much as you possibly can, as much as you can afford to. But obviously you have to qualify and try to get, use that path to get to the Champions League because you cannot take it lightly because it is, it gives you two opportunities to get there. And that's, that's the goal. So uh, I don't think they can throw results away. Uh, they have to qualify, and, they, and especially once they get out of the group stage, I think then the gears shift a little bit, and and 
development goes out the window a little bit more. Like, would you be disappointed if we didn't make out of the group stage, but we gave some of these players some quality minutes or is like, even with some of these developing players, the expectation that you have to get out of the group stage, like our well, season. You, ha- you have to get out of the group stage for sure. I don't think you could take it that lightly. Like if, if, if they decided to start their first one or two games with all their young players or, you know, uh, our second, second string, it's, uh, it's fine if you want to start that way, but they have to find the way to get the points to get out of the group stage. So I would definitely switch tactics if, if things were not going their way. Yeah. I mean, I'll be very interested to see the draw because there are some great teams in the Europa league. And I think, a lot of people, especially people that are Anglo-centric and just watch the Premier League, dismiss a lot of these teams in the Europa League. And whereas Arsenal's A squad would always roll or almost always roll over these these teams, Arsenal's B and C squad are going to have some challenges against these 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 teams. And so, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see the draw and see how easy our group is, and then we can judge what type of team to put out for it. The the last time we did well in this competition was under the master of, of this competition. (laughs) And, um, we haven't, well, the Arteta, the Arteta experience in the Europa league has not been quite as fruitful. So uh, it's, it's a redemption arc for him as well to try to figure out how to unlock this, this beast and, and get, get us into position to make a run at that champions league uh, earth, no matter which way you cut it, we got to either get it, get there via Europa league or via the premier league. So I don't think Arteta is going to slack on either end here. He's going to, he's going to compete in, in every possible way. And, and and that is the other side is getting top four is harder than it has or top. Yeah. Top four is harder than it has been in, in a, quite a long time that there are probably six to seven teams in the Premier League that have a good shout for being top four at this point. So having the avenue of the Europa League as a way to get in, you can't just throw that away. You know? That yeah, we're com- absolutely. We're competing with like Newcastle, I think, is going to be, maybe not this year, but in the next two years, a team that is going to be fighting for that just based on the, their money alone. You have Chelsea, Man U- Newcastle, Chelsea, Man United, Man City, Tottenham, unfortunately, uh, Liverpool. That's six teams right there, all fighting for four spots. And it's going to be a tough battle for all those teams to get the four spots in the Premier League. Having the opportunity to get it through Europa League is, is an opportunity that we need to take seriously. Yeah, I'm sure Arteta would echo that. He's never shied away from competition, especially when Champions League is on the line. Yeah. Um, We've got a couple questions. Um, There was a couple other transfer rumors, but they're kind of they're pretty lightweight. I don't know if they have much, much uh, merit quite yet. So I'm going to leave those and I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we've, I've got a couple questions for Tim that we can we can go through real quick, and then we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up for this week. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment. 
Welcome back from the break. We've got a couple questions that I wanted to throw out to Tim, so we'll get right to those. Uh, Tim. Yes, Caleb. First one. Who or what makes you most excited going into this season? I was thinking about this for a little bit, and I'm very excited about Odegaard this season. I don't know. Uh-huh. I, 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 I feel that he has the pieces to be great this season. We finally gotten the, um, the connections that he can make. I think the connection to Jesus is going to be awesome from Odegaard. I think him having some time to learn and hang out with Sokka is going to be amazing. And Smith Rowe, I, 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 I'm very excited about how the forward look of Odegaard is going to be. And that's the, we should almost write this down because I might eat my words at the end of the season. <laughs> but that that is where I'm most excited about this team is Odegaard really controlling the midfield and being that uh, center midfielder distributing the ball. How about you? Yeah, I am. I'm very excited about the the Jesus experiment and and. Uh, a lot of that extends to how he's going to uh, play off of the players that we already have. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see them connect, uh, or him connect with Odegaard, I should say, and, and Sokka, and all the players around him. Um, already, we've talked about how great he's looked in the preseason and how comfortable he is, and it's, it's only going to get better from here. I mean, we're talking about two games in. And I think he just looks like he's ready to hit the ground and prove, prove that he can be the number nine. And given the opportunity, I think he's he's going to make the most of it, especially as he makes that case for the national team as well. So it's it's a lot. There's a lot riding on him succeeding. So I feel like he's uh, he seems like the type of person that's going to step up and bring his best game to Arsenal, and that's. I, the timing with the World Cup, I feel like it. He's really gonna. Um, he's not gonna be holding back. He's gonna be trying to to hit the ground as hard as possible and, and be scoring out the gate. So I'll be very excited to see how that plays out for him. And I, I, I think he's gonna open things up for for the whole team. So I feel like we're gonna see more from Saka. We're gonna see more from Martinelli. We're gonna see. Um, he, he's. We always talk about the the FIFA chemistry. Uh, mm-hmm. ratings and stuff. I feel like he he bumps up the chemistry so much because he's another he's a Brazilian leader. So it's going to be uh, a big chemistry bump for for the Brazilian players and and just oh, the overall technical quality he brings. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the th- interesting things you, s- you were mentioning was the timing of the World Cup, and it's normally in this type of transfer window we'd all be still at this point watching the World Cup and people would be signed after after the World Cup. And it's really interesting to have the World Cup later after the transfer window because you have a bunch of players, and Jesus is one of them, that really want to prove themselves to get onto the World Cup squad. It's a very different dynamic, and we may never see it again in a transfer, transfer window of these players that are coming to prove themselves. And I think it means that Jesus knows he has to hit the ground running and it's going to be fun to see that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's my biggest bit of excitement, but the, 
window is not even closed yet, so who knows what else could be coming. Yeah, but I, it's gonna be hard to top top Jesus for me. And um, I was thinking earlier, I really like the these new black kits, mm. and I, I I might pull the trigger with an Odegaard one this year. Oh. So I don't think I told you, but a friend of the pod, uh, uh, Jordan. He uh, gave me the uh, purple and black stripe kit that I've been looking for for years. He just handed Ooh. it off, and I'm so excited for that. Wow! It's uh, like I actually looked at trying to buy it again, and now it's like at like three hundred dollars or whatever. And he just dropped it off at the bar, so I'm I'm excited. That's probably going to be my uh, game day shirt. Is the purple black uh, third kit from what 2016? No, earlier than that, 2013. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, I, I might have to take a look at that 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 all black kit because you know my old gothness uh, calls to all black. I have the black and pink puma kit, but I, I like the gold a bit better, especially the gold kit and logo. I really like that a lot. Oh yeah, no, totally. They looked very good today. Yeah, are does it? Do you have any hangups about the LAFC? connection no, or I'm, not connection but resemblance i should say there's only a certain amount of colors and color combinations your kit is going <laughs> to look like somebody it's else's true. kit at a certain point yeah as long as it's not white and blue <laughs> a white with blue accents i think i'm going to be okay with any kit that we put out yeah yeah i they haven't even put out the uh the pink third kit yet but I think they all look pretty sharp. I don't know if I'd pull the trigger on the pink one, but I I may get some uh, get the the home and away kit this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, going down kit road, I like <laughs> I I I can't rock pink. I, I appreciate pink as a color. It's just not something I would wear regularly. I have uh, the uh, blue with pink accents uh, tracksuit that from a couple of years ago, and I wear it at home, but I would never wear it out and about in town but black and purple and then black with gold definitely are, are, are things that i could rock yeah I'm, I'm into it um so that was my that was my secret second question was about kids <laughs> um all right so where where do you think arsenal need to sign more players we touched briefly on this and uh there's a lot of me that's very satisfied with where we're at. I think it would be just kind of last little splashes or opportunity signings that I'm I'm more looking at. In an ideal world, I think we could have a more established goal scorer up top. If there's someone available to back up Jesus or 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 be a, another striking option, I would love it. I think center back. I wouldn't hate having some more backup on that and right back. I guess, I don't know. I guess now with the, the the newer signings, I think we might be okay. So I'm not, I'm not too worried. I think our center midfield, we have the depth and we would have to have a pretty quality signing to get above that. Cause I look at center back and I think we're three deep as far as center backs and, I'm not convinced with the Lakanga, so like I guess maybe you want to be four deep, so like one backup for both center back or not center back, uh, center mids. Uh, yeah, I mean I think it's more for me looking at 
talent upgrades at this point. I think our positions are covered and it's just more if there's an opportunity to have a, a talent upgrade, I would take it. How about you? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the talent and and just any any opportunity signings we could make at this point would be icing. You know, I, I think we're we're very close to having a a, a really complete team. Um, I think I agree with you that there there could be another striker, but I I really think that that backup to Saka, I want somebody that's not not equal to Saka, but at least is a significant drop off. Even though Reese Nelson is somebody I brought up earlier, he's not consistent enough. He's not proven enough. I think I would want somebody that we could bring in off the bench and we knew could make a difference from that position and, and we could rest Saka and feel like we're not at a deficit there. So it's not Pepe. It's not, it's not Reese Nelson. So I would hope we could find one more piece there to make that side a little bit stronger. Yeah. I mean, definitely, uh, that is a position that we could go, but I like, I, it's not like I'd flip tables and burn things. If we didn't get that this window, that's also a signing that might be, I mean, I think it's a signing that would be very dependent on what's available. And it's something that we could strengthen in January if something's available in January as well. So as I said, I'm, I'm at this point, very content with our our transfer window at this point and i th- i do feel like there's going to be one or two more signings they might not be super exciting signings but there's one or two more signings that are going to happen before the window shuts and it's just kind of like filling in the edges putting in the the icing i think we with jesus and jashenko we've got our big signings for the window we haven't even really talked about like pablo Vieira. or not Pablo. Uh, what is Vera's first name? Now I'm, I'm losing it. And I should have had this window up. If we were prepared podcasters, we would have these windows up. And uh, yes, Fabio. Uh, yes, Fabio Vera. There we go. Came to me eventually. Um, we've barely talked about him. I mean, he has been slightly injured, uh, but apparently he's getting back into shape. So he's another another player that we have that can fill in in some midfield roles they could actually back up Saka. I totally forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like, that's a, uh, high or uh, just a, uh, you know, high ceiling player that you don't know about. And like some of these players, I can't get excited about till I actually see them play some minutes in an Arsenal shirt in a competitive game. And so it's, it's, it's hard to judge based on, I don't know, clips from the Brazilian league, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, Marquinhos is, is one of those players that's, uh, we kind of, we, we kind of felt this way about Bertinelli too. It's like, you've got a really young player that's coming out of Brazil. You don't have a ton of, uh, great film on him. And then he could come in and tear the place up or just be anonymous and you just might not hear about that project, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, both Marquinhos and uh, Vieira can make an impact. I think Vieira is more, more 
closer to doing that. I think Marquinhos has is, is got some, some work ahead of him to get up to up to speed in the Premier League. But, you know, I was surprised with how quickly Mar- Martinelli adapted. And it, I think they're hoping he, he can do the same thing. Yeah, this is going to be my like very short non-Arsenal related plug, which is that Paramount Plus has the entirety of the Brazilian League available for both watching and replay. If you're bored and want some soccer, throw in that league. It's so much fun to watch. And you can start see some of these players before Arsenal signs them type of thing. So, yeah. That's a great idea. I, I just started watching Man in the Middle the other day. Mm-hmm. That was I. I didn't realize that was on uh, uh, about Plus until recently. Uh, that's that's an interesting documentary series. I haven't really watched a, a little bit of the the first part, but uh, you know, insight into referees get me excited for the new Premier League season, oh. where we have far fewer crappy referees this year. <laughs> Addition by subtract subtraction. Um, the other exciting thing that we should probably talk about. I know we're about to go off is uh. Uh, August 4th, something exciting is happening on uh, Amazon Prime. Oh, yes. It's coming. We got to figure out what we're going to do with that. Yeah. I feel like we, we have to somehow see some of it in person or we need that. Does does Amazon do the party viewing thing? I don't know. They should if they don't. I know that uh, Atlantic Crossing is going to be showing the first uh, episode live with people watch or live, but there's a uh, viewing setup with a uh, Cascadia Gooners, which is uh, if I was in Seattle, I'd definitely uh, go and uh, hang out with people to watch it. Yeah, it's a good idea. I should look into doing that. But mm. otherwise, we should uh, try and host that because I'm definitely going to watch. I did not watch the Tottenham one. I still refuse. I watched every other one, but I cannot force myself to watch the Tottenham one, especially like Tottenham and Jose Marino, like is a combination of people I don't want to see ever in my life. Just, just no Marino. None. You just avoid that. I think you're, you're better off. I, the funny thing is I think my dislike level for Marino is very close to my dislike level for Tottenham. Tottenham edges <laughs> it, but when they two combine like, I'd rather like break my TV and watch that game or that yeah, show. I could, I could see that. If I was on a desert island and I had the opportunity to never watch anything again or only watch uh, that all or nothing, I would choose never watching anything again on TV. <laughs> that's that's bold, bold. That's a bold statement. Did you watch any of it? Of the, the Tottenham season? Yeah. No, I did not. <laughs> see? Did you see the uh, the trailer for the the Wrexham show that's going to be on FX? No, I've missed this completely. Yeah, so uh, I think it's Wrexham United yes. uh, is is owned by Rob McElhenney and uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, it's superhero guy and guy from. Uh, Always sunny. That's how I know. Yeah, him. Super, superhero guy. Why can't I think? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yes. There we go. Gosh. Uh, so they did a whole documentary series that's coming out on FX about them taking over the team. So I I am in on watching that already, just because soccer document soccer documentaries are always a must watch, uh, and always. especially if they don't involve Mourinho. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, these guys look like they uh, had an interesting time of it. So yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious to see how that takeover went for them. This might be another Timbit, but I've always wondered if I had billions of dollars, would I ever want to take over a, so- a soccer club? Because I feel like it would be fun and like I love the sport and I would want to try and do it, but I think it would just be such a painful painful thing it would be it would be hard i i never even want to do a lot of the managing stuff on like fifa i mean i just like <laughs> i just want to play i just want to enjoy the game uh, but a lot of the the manager mode and stuff just I, I have no interest yeah i mean that's fair enough i played a lot of a uh, championship manager yeah getting like i love the idea of scouting players and like molding a team into what you think soccer should be is fun but as a uh-huh. as an owner i think it would be hard because you're really just the money and if you start tinkering too much with the football especially because like you know i've played the game i watch a lot of it but i am by no means an expert and i feel like uh being an owner you'd have the temptation to like try and fiddle too much with it Plus, I think there's like your ideals of what the team or what the sport should look like. And then there's the economic reality of it, depending on where you're coming in and what team you're buying and building up. It's it's not something that can happen overnight. And you're, you're in for the long haul and a lot of money and a lot of heartbreak. And a lot of people don't see it to the end. Yeah. And, and, and more like when you are the owner of a club, you also taking are taking stewardship of a community and uh-huh. it, there's a lot of responsibility with that. And we've seen in soccer, a lot of uh, people abuse that that responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting to me about this Rexham documentary is because it is a smaller team and like one of those small, smaller cities that uh, their whole life revolves around it. So to have two celebrity owners come in and take over um, in such an intimate setting it's uh it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah i'd love to see it there's a uh, there's a great uh, again i wish the whole world spoke swedish there's a great swedish documentary about a the a team that got promoted to the top division of sweden and just watching this small little team try and compete like you know they have a home attendance of about 2000 compete with these teams that have like 30000 40000 spectators and what they do and what their their difficulties where they're they're trying to actually get their home stadium approved to be a FIFA venue when they don't have any money. It's a community stadium and all these trials and tribulations. It's a very it's a very interesting thing. That sounds interesting. It needs to just be translated. That'd be nice. I'm guessing there's a subtitle version. There, I'm guessing there might be. I I watch it on Swedish TV, but uh, there might they might even have the English subtitles on that. But then you'd also have to get a VPN to watch Swedish TV illegally, which I totally uh, don't do. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work for me, but I can understand why why people who spoke Swedish would want to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, we should wrap it up there. We we hit our magical witching hour that tells us it is time to end the show it's like clockwork (laughs) yeah Uh, so thank you all for listening to this week's episode we're getting pretty close to when we're going to be back to our our normal weekly cadence but for now thank you for sticking with us on our 
summer break version of the show. Um, if you like what you've heard, go ahead and review and subscribe wherever you're listening to us right now. Um, if you want to interact with us and send in your questions, there's a few ways to do that. Uh, Twitter is at W of N London. Email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can be sent to us at anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. And we have a Discord chat server that you can join us on. Uh, you can find a link to that in the show notes. If you haven't checked out Bobcat, what are you waiting for? Their music can be heard at the top of our show every episode. And if you want to hear more from them, their website is bobc.at. And you can find their latest album plus much more over there. So go check them out. That's it for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show. <laughs>